This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us tonight. Activists against the expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline promised a week of action. Yesterday, 28 people were arrested after they blocked access to the Kinder Morgan facility in Burnaby. Today, demonstrators south of the border took to the water to show their shared opposition. Julia Foy reports. Here today to raise awareness of what is happening here at the Port of Seattle. A flotilla of protesters from Washington State and B.C. took to the waters near the Kinder Morgan oil terminal. Their purpose, to try and get Americans on board to stop the Kinder Morgan pipeline, which they claim could threaten West Coast waters. Washington Governor Jay Inslee, who attended the Globe Conference in Vancouver March 16th, says he supports Premier John Horgan's stance on the pipeline. The oil pollution risk would increase significantly, and we have serious questions whether it it really makes sense to be making such massive investments in, in fossil fuel infrastructure. This is not just a Canadian problem. This Seattle protest comes just a day after 28 protesters were arrested outside Burnaby's Kinder Morgan facility. We're sending a message to Justin Trudeau that Kinder Morgan is not in the national interest, um, you know, that he made a bad gamble by thinking that he could approve this pipeline early in his administration. A recent poll by Abacus Data shows BC residents are evenly divided in their views on the pipeline. One public opinion expert believes people who are in favour of the project just haven't been as vocal or visible. I think there's a lot of people who are just quietly supportive, but they have mortgages to pay and families to raise, so that they're too busy to go to protests every weekend. Stand with us in this fight against Kinder Morgan. For now, the race to win over public opinion continues on land and by sea. Julia Foy, Global News. Burnaby RCMP are on the hunt for suspects in an early morning stabbing. It happened around 2 o'clock this morning. Police were called to a report of a robbery at the Edmonds Skytrain station, which resulted in a stabbing. Officers found two youth with minor injuries at the scene. The suspects had fled. Both victims were treated in hospital and released. Any witnesses are asked to call the Burnaby RCMP. A Burnaby man has been arrested and charged in connection with a string of purse snatchings targeting seniors. Earlier this month, RCMP witnessed the suspect steal a woman's purse in the 4400 block of East Hastings. The elderly victim was knocked to the ground, suffering minor injuries. 33-year-old Brian McVeigh was arrested after a foot chase. He's charged with robbery and theft in connection with four purse snatchings in North Burnaby beginning in February. Officers searched a home in the 4,000 block of Union Street where evidence was recovered. McVeigh remains in custody for a court appearance on Monday. It's been an emotional journey for the family of a murder victim. Waylon Jackson was just 26 years old when he was killed in a townhome in a Kelowna neighborhood two years ago. His family has flown out to the Okanagan from Alberta to hear two weeks of testimony at a trial detailing the last few hours of his life. Jules Knox of Global Okanagan reports. March 11, 2016 is when a part of me died. Christine Whiskey Jack's son, Waylon Jackson, was killed two years ago. Stabbed to death, a knife plunged into his heart. His family is grief-stricken as they listen to the final hours of his life, recapped in court. It's been hard. It's been really hard. I've had to run out of court and cry. 
Jackson is remembered as a generous person, a hard worker, a good cook. When he was small, him and his brothers, I sold them uh, leadership to be leaders. And he took that to the heart. <laughs> and that was taken away from me. <laughs> he liked spending time with family. He was a family-orientated person. And he's loved by many. And family was important to him. The new dad leaves behind now two-year-old Anaya Skye, a daughter he knew for just a month. I see so much of my late son in my granddaughter, and it's like raising him all over again. The family lives in Alberta but says there was no question they would travel to Kelowna to watch the trial. Because I need justice, because I need closure, because I wanted to see the individual. The jury has heard nearly two weeks of testimony. Chad Alphonse is on trial for Jackson's second-degree murder. On Wednesday, the jury will hear closing arguments. As for Jackson's family, they're hoping the verdict will help bring closure. I hope I can get justice. We hope we can get justice for our Wellen, my Wellen. He was a strong person. He is missed. It'll be hard to forget what he left behind and missing his uh, phone calls. I love yous. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. Dozens spent their Sunday afternoon at a meeting in Richmond. The hot-button issue, a proposal to install temporary modular housing for the homeless in their neighborhood. As Tanya Beijer reports, it's a plan that more and more communities are grappling with. There will be no background checks and there will be no uh, obvious uh, you know, restriction on drug, drug use. Future neighbors of a proposed temporary modular housing development gathered in Richmond to voice their concerns. We're just questioning whether or not this is the most economical, logical uh, course of action. The 40-unit complex is set to be built on city-owned land on Elmbridge Way. The project to house Richmond's homeless hasn't yet been approved by city council, but neighbours are already distributing flyers, sharing their fears. This kind of person, homeless, maybe they have the drug problem, they have like some mental problem. When they have a drug problem and then when they're drunk, they walk whatever, they walk through the daycare and then bumping the door. What do you think that the kids will think? Housing is a, is a human right. Um, it doesn't, shouldn't matter how much money you have, that uh, we all deserve a roof over our heads. The issue has sparked division in Vancouver, where some Marple residents say temporary housing is too close to schools. But Richmond's former homeless say temporary housing support can help along with a little compassion. I now work two jobs. I work two part-time jobs. I, I, I have my own place that uh, I rent and pay rent on. And, uh, uh, and I think it can, it can work uh, for other homeless people. They, they are hurting, and it's really hard to get up. Many who attended Sunday's meeting are calling for a public hearing and more answers from BC Housing. We want to get more information on how this project is going to run. And uh, we have no idea who Rank City is. But housing advocates fear that the public outcry could derail what they see as a much-needed solution. Knowing it's, a, it's an election year, it, it really worries me that they might back, back down. Tanya Beja, Global News. One person was sent to hospital this morning after a serious crash in Vancouver forced the temporary closure of a busy street. 
The crash happened just after 7 a.m. on Southwest Marine Drive near Barnard Street. The car rolled over onto its roof. Emergency responders pulled one person from the vehicle with undetermined injuries. That section of Marine Drive was closed for a short time. There's no word yet on the cause of the crash. More and more B.C. communities are voicing their concerns about the provincial government's new speculation tax, a tax aimed at the problem of rapidly rising housing prices. The final details of the tax are still being reviewed, but cities, including Kelowna, are raising alarm bells about the potential consequences the tax could have on their real estate markets. Shelby Tom of Global Okanagan reports. The city of Kelowna joining the chorus of impacted B.C. cities denouncing the NDP's proposed speculation tax. A staff report to city council on Monday is highly critical, saying it will have a negative impact on the local real estate market from out-of-province purchasers. The speculation tax announced in last month's provincial budget will apply to homeowners in six regions who don't live in their property or rent it out long-term. It's aimed at buyers who park their money in real estate and drive up prices. The rate is proposed at 2% of assessed value, which would result in a new bill of thousands of dollars. Kelowna City staff say the punitive tax will send a message to out-of-province buyers that they aren't welcome in Kelowna. City staff say the province should scrap the speculation tax and replace it with a tax that targets property flipping. It also says that any new revenue generated from a real estate tax should stay within city limits to go towards affordable housing initiatives. This real estate broker says his firm has already fielded calls from uneasy prospective buyers. We're seeing a lot of people have been looking and shopping, you know, to purchase in Kelowna for a while, stepping back and have decided not to purchase. He says people with vacation homes will be unfairly impacted. If it's my vacation home, how do I come here and spend my vacations in my off-season in my home here if I have to put a tenant in it? Um, you know, the government took away fixed-term tenancies, so you can't have a tent-rented property out and then have them move out at a specific time so you can come and enjoy your property. So it just doesn't work. On the other hand, the report says the speculation tax will address Kelowna's dismal rental vacancy rate. It's the lowest in the country at 0.2%. City staff say it could create up to 900 units of higher-end rental housing. City Council will debate this report on Monday before taking an official stance on the controversial tax. Shelby Tom, Global News, Kelowna. Several recommendations are being made in a review of last year's devastating wildfires in the B.C. interior. The Caribou Regional District has released a report after finishing community consultations. Many of the recommendations revolve around better communication, including increasing the use of video and audio, as well as getting critical information to people who may not be able to access the Internet. Three of the largest wildfires in B.C.'s history burned in the region last summer, scorching hundreds of thousands of hectares. The city of Vancouver is getting ready to host the 47th annual Juno Awards starting this week. And as Kristen Robinson reports, officials are rolling out all the stops, including a weekend-long red carpet closure of a major downtown artery. Red lights are halting drivers now, but next weekend, it'll be Vancouver stopping traffic for the Junos. The Georgia Viaduct will be shut down from 9 Friday night until 3 Monday morning as the city rolls out the red carpet and a major road closure for Sunday's main awards event at Rogers Arena. Well, luckily I don't live in Vancouver. I hate the uh, traffic out here, so that really sucks for everyone around here, though. Uh, it doesn't bother me because I don't drive. Uh, having a car in the city is not necessary. Hello, Vancouver! It's the city's fourth time hosting the Juno Awards. Jason Priestley won the crown in 1998, Vancouver also took the stage in 1991 and 2009. 
NPA Councillor Melissa DiGenova loves the fact we're in the spotlight again, but questions why the public got less than a week's notice about the potential gridlock. We've seen uh, the communications department at City Hall get larger and larger, uh, but at the same time what I'm hearing more and more from the public is that there's not proper communication or consultation. There he is, there he is, there he is, Ryan, Ryan! Vancouverites were given two weeks warning when Ryan Reynolds took over the Georgia Viaduct for two weeks in 2015. Deadpool's blockbuster wave gave BC's economy a $40 million boost. Vancouver gave the Music BC Industry Association a $250,000 grant to host the 2018 Junos. Cool. That's exciting. I think it's fabulous. Everybody can get out and walk then because the viaducts are going to be gone soon. The City of Vancouver recently approved its final plan for Northeast False Creek, including the removal of the Georgia and Dunsmuir viaducts. I don't know if this is a test run for them in closing the viaducts down for good, but uh, certainly it is going to impact people's travel plans. We'll have to wait until Arcade Fire takes the stage to see whether the sprawl spreads outside the arena. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, still to come on the news hour, a manhunt is underway in the Toronto area for three suspects in a brazen shooting, an attack that killed an innocent bystander. And right after the break, the growing movement by local coffee shops to get you to actually talk to each other. Stay with us. Welcome back. Are you guilty of being a laptop loiterer? Do you head to your local coffee shop in hopes of taking advantage of free Wi-Fi? Well, for some, you're part of the problem, and a few cafe owners are pushing back. Grace Key reports. It's Sunday morning at Mousset Cafe in downtown Vancouver. Here, you can grab your favorite pastry and coffee, catch the latest cycling races, and enjoy conversation with a friend. But there's one thing you can't do here. Log on to your laptop, at least on the weekends. Especially on the lunch rush and whatnot, we were having trouble seating people and having people wandering around with their food trying to find a spot to sit. And especially in quick service, it's important. A sign on the front door lets you know about the policy before you even walk into the cafe. It's the second weekend since the rule kicked in and some of these regular patrons don't seem to mind. I get it from a business point of view. Because, I mean, if you have a laptop, you come in here... Guys sit in here for hours, they buy a cup of coffee. I mean, let's tough on the business. On weekends, it is packed, so if people are sitting there for a while, it makes sense. Makes people more social. That's not a bad thing. We have a couple upset customers, and unfortunately, the ones with laptops are the ones who also write reviews online. And they haven't held back with their objections, saying they'll take their business elsewhere. But the manager at Mousset Cafe says the weekends have gotten busier and other cafes are taking notice. A lot of cafes that I've noticed have asked us how our Wi-Fi policy is going just because they have the same problem on the weekends. It's just the sea of laptops and people making the cafe their office. The cafe made the change not just for business reasons, but also to have a nicer environment on the weekends and to get people talking to one another again. Sometimes it's, it's good to get that reminder to stop, stop interfacing with your phone and talk to the person that you're actually sitting with. You see 10 people at a table together, they're all on their cell phones together. That's not communication, we're losing out of communication. It's an art form you can cultivate here, at least on the weekends. Grace Key, Global News. Are you a laptop loiterer? 
Uh, no, not no. necessarily. I, I didn't think so. <laughs> I do some loitering, but uh, no. Yeah, only, only if it's raining, perhaps. You can go inside. And yeah, and it's hard for people who are studying, right? It's nice to get mm. out sometimes. I think that they're not necessarily trying to take advantage of the free Wi-Fi. It's just nice to be out. Absolutely. Nice to be out today, tomorrow, maybe not after. Yeah, so a bit of a change on the way, uh, but we are going to be welcoming spring this week, officially on Tuesday. We started off with showers this morning, depending on where you were across Metro Vancouver. A current look at our tower cam, so it took us a while, but there were some sunny breaks in there. We will see an increase in cloud cover for many spots once again. It'll likely remain dry. The timing of the return for some wet weather coming up shortly, and we'll talk about the temperatures. We're still into the double digits, so we're right where we should be. So coming up soon. All right, looking forward to it. And uh, I walked past your office, and you look really <laughs> focused on sports, I'm guessing. Yes, yeah. a lot going on. Yeah, I'm not one of those guys who likes to complain about referees, but I think in the MLS, this, the league has come a long way in the last few years with the quality. The officiating, I think it is fair to say that they're lagging a bit behind, and the Whitecaps have been bitten a few times by some of these kind of phantom made-up calls that really make a big difference in games. And that was the situation yesterday. And I like that Carl Robinson kind of, you know, called this guy out. So we're going to hear from the coach yesterday. Mm-hmm. Very kind of like phantom penalty call early in the game that took a player off. And that really affects things when you play 10 guys for 80, you know, 75 minutes. So. Yeah, it's rare that you see a coach criticize. I like to hear it. I like it. All right, we'll see you both soon. Coming up, a, an historic building in San Francisco destroyed by a massive fire. Why the fire response is being put to question, triggering calls for the city's fire chief to resign. But first, tragedy strikes Cirque du Soleil as an aerialist plunges to his death during a live show in Florida. Police in Toronto say an innocent bystander was killed last night after she was caught in the crossfire of a shooting outside a bowling alley. Camille Caramelli of Global Toronto reports. A bloody scene at a North York bowling alley. Super scary. Just after 10 Saturday night, bullets began flying through the front entrance of Playtime Bowl and Entertainment. Everyone was running outside after we heard some shooting. One victim died on the scene. The other died in hospital. Just a mass hysteria. By morning, many were returning to grab their belongings. I just kind of want my stuff back at this point. This is not my coat. Describing a scene of chaos. And I saw somebody, like I say, a young lady at the front door screaming, and I heard gun, gun. Zachary Bloom was bowling with his co-workers when he heard the screaming. Cover, then run. Run like hell. They saw a woman bleeding in the lane next to them. Looked like she was bleeding, like, like losing blood pretty quickly. Dozens of people started running towards the back exit. They were rushing as fast as they could. They were screaming, like pushing each other. Chairs were being like tossed down on the floor. Police say three men pulled up to the bowling alley with at least two of them being armed with handguns and shot down 32-year-old Tantian Nago as he was running inside. The gunfire also killed 29-year-old Ruma Amar in front of the building. Police say 32-year-old Nago was the intended target of the shooting. 29-year-old Amar just an innocent bystander. She was there bowling with her husband and sister. We are also confident in saying that there is no relationship between Mr. Nago and Mrs. Amar. Police are looking for all three suspects that were last seen leaving the scene westbound on Samore Road in a dark-colored vehicle. We believe that uh, this is a robust area for uh, CCTV uh, security footage, and uh, that will be pursued. Kamel Karamali, Global News. A Cirque du Soleil performer has died after falling during a show in Florida last night. Yann Arnaud fell while performing a number that uses aerial straps during the show Volta in Tampa.
He was rushed to hospital but died of his injuries. He had been a performer with Cirque for more than 15 years. In a statement, the theater company says the entire Cirque du Soleil family is in shock and devastated by this tragedy. The final two Tampa shows were canceled. American audiences are always like, make me laugh. Canadians, you're just happy we showed up. (laughs) Hey, they're here. Stand-up comedy veteran Mike McDonald has died. The Ottawa native was a fixture on the Canadian comedy scene for more than 30 years. He also entertained troops at Kandahar Airfield in Afghanistan. The 62-year-old has been ill in recent years. In 2011, he was diagnosed with hepatitis C and later had a liver transplant. He died yesterday in an Ottawa hospital from heart complications. U.S. President Donald Trump once again turning to Twitter to take out his frustrations over the growing Russia investigation. He posted tweets today lashing out at both special counsel Robert Mueller and fired FBI Director Andrew McCabe. President Trump firing off tweet after tweet about the Russia election investigation, railing against special counsel Robert Mueller, asking why does the Mueller team have 13 hardened Democrats, some big crooked Hillary supporters, and zero Republicans? Republicans are now warning the president not to fire the special counsel. If he tried to do that, that would be the beginning and the end of his presidency because we're a rule of law nation. The president keeps saying there's no story here, they didn't do anything wrong. If they didn't do anything wrong, why are they going to such extreme lengths to undermine uh, this investigation? The president is also raising doubts that fired FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe kept private memos about their meetings, which have reportedly been turned over to Mueller. Attorney General Jeff Sessions sacked McCabe Friday, two days before his retirement, on the recommendation of FBI disciplinary officials. Make no mistake, The FBI is who recommended that he be fired. It wasn't crazy House Republicans and it wasn't the Trump administration. But Democrats see it differently. It was in December that President Trump announced we have 90 days to get McCabe before he retires. He put out uh, basically a hit on him. McCabe says his firing was part of the president's effort to discredit the FBI and Mueller's investigation. Jennifer Johnson, NBC News, Washington. It's a victory that surprised no one. Vladimir Putin is headed to a big win in today's presidential election in Russia. Early returns suggest he's winning more than 70% of the vote. NBC's Richard Engel reports from Moscow. Not that it was ever in any doubt, but it appears President Vladimir Putin has won another six-year term in office. Early preliminary results show that he won about 73% of the vote with roughly 60% turnout. That would make him the most popularly elected Russian president since Russian presidents were elected starting uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union. It would give him an enormous sense of confidence, a show of support on the street, and it also gives his mandate support because President Putin has already made it very clear what he plans to do with his next six years in office. Russia! Russia! He wants to confront the West. He sees the West right now as leaderless in political crisis, and he sees this as a time to reassert Russian nationalism. The big question, of course, is how much was Putin involved in creating that instability, creating that political turmoil in the United States. Tonight, there's no talk of that here, at least not in public, just that Putin won, and won by a large margin. Richard Engel, NBC News, Moscow. A massive four-alarm fire broke out in an historic neighborhood in San Francisco last night. 
Flames shot from a building in the North Beach area just after 7 o'clock. The building has five commercial units on the ground and vacant residences above. No civilians were hurt, but one firefighter was injured after falling off a fire truck. The cause of the fire is not yet known. Firefighters were criticized for responding too slowly to put out the flames, but the city's interim mayor says that will be investigated at a later time. And brush fires in Australia have destroyed about a dozen homes, killed hundreds of cattle and forced residents to evacuate. Emergency officials said many of the fires were sparked by lightning. Up to 40 towns were under threat as strong winds hamper containment efforts. There are no reports of deaths or major injuries. Well, coming up, goodbye pandas. Toronto Zoo says goodbye to its star attractions as the beloved pandas head west. Welcome back. It's a real-life story of puppy love. A stray dog in Michigan who lost her own puppies has adopted a litter of puppies. There you are. This adorable little girl is Taffy. This adorable little puppy is Taffy. She's less than two days old and one of four puppies who have latched on to their new mother, Mamba. The puppy's mother died after childbirth, leaving animal control officers with a difficult decision. That's when one officer remembered a dog he had rescued days earlier. She was paired with the litter, and there was an instant connection. She right away took to him like they were hers, which was a pretty much a godsend for him because now she's able to raise, if you can see, raise and stimulate the puppies. The pups will stay with Mamba until they're old enough to be on their own. Then they'll go to a local correctional facility to be raised and trained by the inmates as part of the Animal Shelter's Iron Paws program. Meantime, it's time for Toronto's panda family to pack up for a new home at the Calgary Zoo. Mom, Urshun, Dad, Daimao and Cubs, Weiwei and Pan Pan are making the cross-country move tomorrow. The Toronto Zoo is sending 400 kilograms of bamboo on the plane. Most of that will go to the Calgary Zoo to keep the panda's diet consistent and to help them settle in. The pair first arrived in Toronto on loan from China in March 2013 as part of the Global Giant Panda Conservation Breeding Program. The pandas will make the Calgary Zoo their home until 2023. When the pandas arrived in 2013, they were actually listed as endangered, and I'm really excited to say that in 2016, they were actually downgraded to vulnerable. That's what we want to see. Um, our whole mandate at the zoo is conservation, education, and research, and so us being able to contribute to giant pandas and and have them here when they were downlisted vulnerable is definitely a step in the right direction. All right, Yvonne joins us now before she runs off to pack for her road trip to Calgary. <laughs> they're going to be closer to us. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure they're going to draw the crowds once again in Calgary. So that's exciting stuff as they travel tomorrow. All right, thanks, Jeff, and good evening, everyone. We have managed to see some uh, sunshine today, and we will continue to see a few breaks in the cloud for tomorrow. Fantastic shot of our tower cam that's overlooking English Bay this evening. Temperatures are sitting at 9 degrees with the northwesterly direction at 7 kilometers per hour. Most areas today climbed up to 10 degrees. We were slightly below the average for this time of the year that sits at 12. And a record of 17 degrees was set back in 1981. No birthday announcements this evening or anniversaries, but a reminder, starting tomorrow, we'll be announcing the birthdays and anniversaries on our noon show. It'll be closer to 12.30. And if you would like to send your announcements, you can email us at globalbcreception at coruscant.com. Once again, we'll be making our announcements starting on the noon news hour tomorrow.
Here's what we are looking at for in terms of our numbers today. 12 for areas near Kamloops, the Peace up to 3 degrees. Victoria today climbing up to 10 and Osoyoos up to 16 degrees with Cranbrook up to 6. Your current temperature for the North Shore at 10 degrees. Coquitlam sitting at 9. Most areas near Pitt Meadows and Surrey closer to 11 degrees, similar for Tawasson. Into the Fraser Valley, cloud cover with temperatures at 10 degrees and Chilliwack currently sitting at 9 degrees. Six is your current temperature. Good evening into Quinnell, the Peace at 2 and Bella Coola with your current temperature at 13 degrees. Satellite and radar, most areas across the province, we will see dry conditions across the south coast, interior sections, but we are going to hang on to a fair bit of cloud cover. It'll be an increase this evening and similar or lingering rather for the morning hours tomorrow. Future cast into play, one area across the province on Tuesday. We'll start to see some moisture along the central coast. Higher elevations and inland even can look at the chance for some flurry activity. And pushing in late into the southern interior will be on Tuesday with the return for some shower activity. A reminder, the spring equinox, we're welcoming it on Tuesday. It's the most direct rays of the sun that move north of the equator. Spring officially starts at 9.15 on Tuesday morning. Here's a look at our long-range forecast, starting off in the peaks. We're at 6 underneath the mix of sun and cloud. A chance for some flurries and moisture does start to push in. That'll be midweek on Wednesday and cooling off with only a high of 3 degrees. White Horse will see a dry day for tomorrow. It's by the evening that we see some snow pushing in, a range between 2 and up to 4 centimeters. Coastal sections, showers for tomorrow sitting at 7. Most areas for the Caribou and Central Interior, a mainly cloudy sky at 8. Showers developing and moisture pushing in and settled for Tuesday, Wednesday. Columbia and Kootenai region, temperatures tomorrow into the double digits with 10. Thompson, Okanagan will be looking at a few breaks, especially for the afternoon, and a dry one with a high of 11 degrees. Whistler could see some isolated flurries. It'll be for the morning hours, changing over to a chance of showers. Across the island, we're at 10 degrees. We'll see a fair bit of cloud cover for tomorrow, but it should remain dry. Tuesday, first day of spring at 12, unsettled for a Wednesday onwards. Jeff? Thanks, Yvonne. Coming up, Barry is up next with a Paralympic roundup of Team Canada. Plus, a star sighting in Tofino as actor Chris Hemsworth gets set to catch some waves. Monday on Global News Morning, Grammy nominated singer and songwriter Aloe Black is joining us. Well, I need a dollar, a dollar. He'll talk about his new project, America's Musical Journey. We'll see you on Monday. Giant moves, giant shots, giant hits, and all the giant action on Global News Sports. All right, Barry's back with us now for a look at sports, and uh, it's a fun one to start off here, isn't it? Well, you know, a little controversy. Yeah, you know, it's not supposed it. to, uh, you know complain about officiating, but sometimes stuff has to be said. All right, thanks, Jeff. The uh, Whitecaps are still fuming over a head-scratching call that really altered the events of their game last night in Atlanta. Whitecaps captain Kendall Waston was red-carded for a foul in the box, but it wasn't called during the run of play. The call was made on video review. Now, the whole idea of video review is to catch blatant fouls that are missed. Now, unless this referee has eagle eyes and can see things we can't, he was assuming a lot when he put the caps down to 10 men early and awarded a penalty shot to boot. And it's got Carl Robinson, the Whitecap coach, wondering aloud how this referee can still have a job. The sending off, shocking. Absolutely shocking. Uh, shocking decision 
for us to play down uh, or play 11 men against uh, 11 in a lance is very difficult. We knew that. We had a game plan going into the game that was totally affected after five minutes. Uh, I think it took five minutes for the, the referees to try and um, overturn the decision. You know, I get told that it has to be clear and obvious. Uh, clearly it wasn't. It had a major impact on the game. You know, it's a massive influence on the game, which was a really, really poor decision. Uh, three times I think I've had the same referee and uh, each time we've gone down to ten men. So I'm better off not probably talking to him. I'll speak to Howard Webb because uh, there's a number of things that I felt went against us. Uh, you know, even the yellow card situation with you know, two of their guys. Um, you know, smart tactical decisions, uh, substitutions from them uh, and credit to them. So uh, I'll speak to him next week, but it's not acceptable. I agree, I agree. The uh, Canucks are back on the road Tuesday in Vegas, trying to snap a six-game losing streak. The Canucks are severely undermanned right now with injuries to key players up front. But the silver lining in all the losses, of course, is they are now just two points out of last. With 11 games to go, they could easily drop down to 31st and improve their lottery chances. Last night, Chris Tanev was back in the lineup after missing five weeks with a leg fracture. Taken on the Sharks, and the Canucks played well. Of course, they had that long goalless drought they were trying to snap, and they finally got one midway through the first as Nikolai Goldobin scored against his former team. 223 minutes of goalless action, nearly over 11 periods, but they finally got one. The power play was clicking, too. They got three on the power play, including this one by Alex Edler, but... On a game they got three, unfortunately, they gave up a bad goal. That can't go in from uh, Timo Meyer past Jacob Markstrom. 4-3 Sharks. The Canucks really battled hard, and Goldobin was robbed. Off the post, then off the back of the goalkeeper's leg. 5-3 the final. Canucks are in Vegas on Tuesday. And speaking of the Knights, they were hosting the Flames, who are in desperation mode, hoping for a win in Las Vegas. The Knights have stumbled a bit of late, but uh, not today. William Carlson, what a year for the former Blue Jacket. That's his 37th of the year. And then he'll get his 38th. The guy just keeps shooting the puck, and it just keeps on going in. And then Carlson's not done yet. Two minutes after that goal, he's going to score his hat-trick goal. Another pretty one. Now, before he was picked up by Vegas, Carlson had 18 career goals in 183 games. This year, 39 goals in 72 games. Golden Knights win 4-0. Flames starting to lose touch with that last playoff spot. They're four points back with three teams to hop over and just nine to play. Jets and Stars from Winnipeg. Winnipeg safely in, I think, trying to hang on to second in the central and home ice in the first round, and they are tough on home ice. What a play there by Blake Wheeler. Sprawled on the ice, still gets it to Patrick Lyonnais, who snaps home his 42nd, one behind Alex Ovechkin for the league lead. In the second period... He ties Ovechkin, going five-hole. You forget this kid is just 19 years old, but what a sniper he is. 3-2 Jets right now in the third. Colorado Avalanche, I think surprising some people as they continue to make a surge to the playoffs, hosting Detroit. Nathan McKinnon leading the way, I think a Hart Trophy candidate. 37th of the year, what a play, what a power move to snap the backhander in. 3 nothing at that point, and then another spectacular play. Fans on the shot, but keeps going and stuffs it in. Actually got a deflection off the Detroit stick, but this kid is very good. Three points again. He's just three points out of the NHL scoring lead held by Nikita Kucherov. Avs win again 5-1, up to 86 points, and right now they're in the playoffs. 
Oilers and Lightning. All of a sudden, Tampa's lead atop the Atlantic, down to just two over the Bruins. Oilers trying to be the spoilers again, like they were in Florida last night. They got off to a good start, just 14 seconds in. Ty Ratty banks it in off Lightning goalie Louis Domingue, who was just called up from the minors for this start. But the Lightning tied it and then take the lead. Who else? Steve Stamkos, too. Nikita Kucherov is 92nd point. Leads the NHL by three over McDavid, McKinnon, and Evgeny Malkin. In the third period, well, actually make that a four-point lead. Kucherov gets another. Just kind of chips it past Dalman and Toya. Kucherov's 36th and the Lightning win 3-1. And we'll show you one more. Flyers and Caps. Philly hanging in there for a playoff spot in the East. Late in the first tie game, but... Young Swedish rookie Oscar Lindblom. That's his first NHL goal. Not a bad one. Snaps it in. 2-1 Flyers. And then early in the second, Wayne Simmons with the first of his two on the night. Nice redirect in front. 6-3 Philly win. They're up to 85 points. And they are eight points up on ninth place Florida in the East. Still to come, the Raptors look to extend their win streak to a franchise record 12 against Oklahoma City. And Tiger Woods' bid for a ninth win at Bay Hill is blocked by a familiar face. That story when we come back. Monday, the latest online scam is hard to spot. Hidden characters can become a criminal's ticket to your money and data. But you can protect yourself. Consumer Matters, Monday on Global News Hour at 6. Welcome back. The Toronto Raptors have never been more poised to make a run at an NBA championship than right now. They have star power, they got depth, and a hunger to overcome what they feel is a league-wide disrespect for their talents and abilities. But until they get to the finals, they really haven't accomplished anything. They accomplished 11 straight wins, and we're looking to make it a team record 12 today versus visiting Oklahoma City. Raptors NBA best 29-5 and home record at the ACC fourth quarter tight ball game. Kyle Lowry, one of their all-stars, a little step-back three. Toronto's got the lead 111-110, but Lowry would later foul out. Down two, Lowry's replacement, DeLon Wright, finishing off the feed from DeMar DeRozan. Ties it up at 125, but Russell Westbrook, he was just plain tough to stop. Blows past Wright to give OKC the lead, and then the temperature got hot. DeMar DeRozan driving the basket, some contact there, no call. That leads to this Westbrook jumper that makes it a four-point cushion. He had 37 to lead OKC. DeRozan, though, wondering about that call, loses it. Got one technical foul, then another, which means he got tossed from the game, and that wasn't it. Dwayne Casey picked it up. He got thrown out. And the Raps are feeling disrespected. They lost uh, 132-125, but still lead Boston by five atop the East. Final round of the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Tiger Woods, feeling good, has won this tournament eight times, made a big move today. He was five back of the lead when it started, but when that birdie went down at 13, Tiger was within a shot of the lead. He's feeling it. The crowd is all pumped up. Tiger knows he needs to keep the pedal down, though. He's playing a few holes ahead of the leaders, thinking eagle on the par 5 16th. Needs a big drive, but the old double cross. That is out of bounds. It's a bogey, and Tiger ended up tied for fifth. At 10 unders. In contention, still can't quite finish it up. Meanwhile, Rory McElroy starts to crank it up on the back nine. 13th hole, birdie. He's the leader at 14 under. And then next hole, McElroy again. Boy, putting with incredible confidence here. Knocks that one down. 
Henrik Stenson had led this tournament from the outset. Chance to tie for the lead, but oh, that just got spit out. Stenson faded down the stretch, finished fourth at 13 under. Rory won't stop. This one from off the green. Chip in birdie. Third in a row, two-shot lead at minus 16. But young Bryson DeChambeau still in the hunt. If it's firm enough. Yes! This week. Go putt there. Drop for bird. Got to within one, but Rory with another birdie on 18, and he seals the deal. He wins the Arnold Palmer Invitational by three. And to play a split for four. More towards the middle this that time. This one out on the edge of the eight. All right, having some throat issues here. Some curling. And uh, Jennifer Jones of Canada chipping in for four there. 8-1 over Germany. They are now 3-0. Wow. All right, we got some tennis. Final of the uh, Indian Wells. Roger Federer, world number one, hasn't lost yet this year. Taking on Juan Martín del Potro. Fed lost the first set, but roared back. Won the second set in a tiebreaker. Now, Roger actually led in the third, but del Potro came back, fought off a few match points, and then del Potro dominates the tiebreaker and wins it. Federer's first loss of the year as Del Potro wins his first ever Masters 1000 championship. FA Cup quarterfinals, Leicester City and Chelsea, last two Premiership champions. 1-0 Chelsea in the second half. Jamie Vardy finally puts this one away. Ties it up 1-1. Extra time required and late in the first half, the stoppage time, it's Pedro with the header. And Chelsea advanced to the semis of the FA Cup. Southampton also advanced over to Wigan, so they joined Manchester United and Tottenham in the final four. And the Paralympic Winter Games officially over, not before Molly Jepsen and her Canadian teammates scored a few more medals. Jepsen ending the games by racing in the women's slalom standing event, and she won the silver medal in this. Jepsen skiing skiing her way to her fourth Olympic medal of the Games. 18-year-old from West Vancouver, previously won super combined gold and a pair of bronzes in the downhill and giant slalom. And uh, what a Paralympics it was for Canada, a record 28 medals, second behind the USA, who had 36. Congratulations to all our athletes. Need a lozenge. Yeah, way to to push through. That was perseverance. Our athletes could definitely take a page out of Barry's A lot of concentration. (laughs) All right, thanks, Barry. (laughs) Time for a short break. See you in a minute. Around your province, around your country, and around your world, around the clock, we've got it covered. BC One, your 24-hour news channel. Here's a look at your snow report. Whistler Blackcomb with a base of 294. Grouse 420, Cypress 410, and Sasquatch 382. Revelstoke with a base of 255 centimeters. Manning Park 208. Powder King 267 in Mount Washington 222. Big White with a base of 304, Silver Star 255, Sun Peaks 231 and Apex 279.
from that point. <laughs> All right. So Barry's been uh, drinking water frantically throughout the break to uh, and tea. Uh, you good? I think I'm all right. Yeah, I got Barry. Thirty seconds left in me. Barry's a hero to us. And speaking of superheroes, <laughs> actor Chris Hemsworth is spending the weekend in Tofino to surf, and he's using Instagram to share his experience with his fans. Have a look. I, don't, I think you're supposed to have your eyes. There you go. As you can see. Oh. 34-year-old Australian actor, best known for playing Thor, made it clear he was having some difficulty getting his wetsuit on. He joked that he felt super comfortable as he struggled to pull the hood over his head. Hemsworth arrived in Vancouver earlier this month. He's filming a movie called Bad Times at the El Royale. Great promotion for Tofino. Absolutely. You have to have a lot of courage to uh, surf at, in Tofino this time of yes. year. Actually, yeah. all year. It's pretty cold in there. Well, it's cold yeah. and, and powerful ocean yes. and all that. All right. Thanks for watching. Thank you, Barry. <laughs> Have a good night. <laughs> <laughs>